we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. As we continue to re, not really re, but actually look at the last three to four years and actually what happened, one of the things that I think is the most uh, useful um, analysis comes from a man named Matthias Desmond. And uh, he is one of the authors of the concept of really why uh, people get, in a sense, brainwashed. He calls it mass uh, formation psychosis. But he, along with McCullough and David Martin, were actually at um, the EU Parliament this uh, past week. And one of the talks that was given was by Matthias Desmond. And I think going through this and listening to this and afterwards talking about it with me and Stuart is quite valuable because I think it gives uh, an understanding of why so many of our fellow citizens fell into this trap. But we will start that here in a second, but I wanted to welcome you to America Out Loud Pulse Radio and iHeart Radio. And again, thank you for listening and we will uh, be back in a second after listening to Matthias's about eight-minute speech uh, in front of the EU Parliament. Described what was going on in our society as a process of mass formation, which is a kind of um, a psychological um, group formation, which is happening in the beginning stages of the emergence of totalitarian states. Totalitarian states which are often confused with uh, so-called classical dictatorships. Many people think that uh, a totalitarian state is a classical dictatorship, but it is something completely different. In a classical dictatorship, uh, a, a small regime seizes control over society, usually through a demonstration of its aggressive potential. Uh, but the, the emergence of a totalitarian state happens in a completely different way. And we know the best, uh, historically speaking, the best known examples of totalitarian states are um, the Soviet Union in the first half of the 20th century and Nazi Germany. Um, what we are dealing with now, I think, is a completely different kind of totalitarianism. On the one hand, different. On the other hand, very similar. I am afraid we are being confronted with the emergence of the so-called velvet glove totalitarian, uh, technocratic totalitarianism, a kind, of a kind of totalitarianism which is led by uh, technical experts, which believe that they, um, the only way to, um, to uh, manage society uh, is through rational knowledge. And so what we are uh, going through now, I think, is the replacement of a democratic, model by a technocratic model. A technocratic model which in the end will be uh, as dangerous, I think, as the fascist and communist uh, totalitarianism of the first half of the 20th century. So, um, what happens in the beginning stages of a, of a totalitarian system at a psychological level is the emergence of what Hannah Arendt called in a very evocative way 
the diabolic pact between the elite and the masses. A substantial part of the elite, the leaders of, the, of society, and a substantial part of the population become fanatically convinced of a certain narrative, a certain ideology, a certain theory, become so fanatically convinced of it that they believe that it is their duty to impose it to society in a relentless way, um, uh, transgressing all normal ethical boundaries. And this, this, um, this, um, we've seen this process uh, happening not only in the first part of the 20th century, but we've seen it happening, we've seen it slowly emerging throughout the last, let's say, the last two centuries. Starting from the French Revolution onwards, we've seen how a new elite emerged, a new elite which seized control of society or which tried to impose its will to society, not in an overt way, as the ancient elite did, but in a much more covered way through indoctrination and propaganda. Immediately after the French Revolution, as soon as the religious view on man and the world um, uh, was replaced by our contemporary materialist view on man and the world, um, the elite couldn't impose its will anymore in an overt way. And they found a solution to that. They found a solution by imposing its will without the population knowing they were doing what the elite wanted. At that, it was at that moment that uh, uh, modern propaganda was born and throughout the last two centuries, propaganda became more and more and more important. Um, politicians, uh, leaders um, uh, used more and more propaganda, manipulation of the population uh, throughout the last two centuries. And now we are living, I think, in a public space uh, which is constantly saturated by propaganda. And at the same time, and that's something extremely important, or I will add one more thing to the emergence of propaganda in the last two centuries. I think that the pandemic treaty and the amendments to the uh, international health regulations that have been discussed here are just one huge step forward at the level of uh, the use of propaganda to convince the population to accept the replacement of a democratic system by a technocratic system. So that's the one part of the story. The other part of the story is that the psychological state of the population changed throughout the last few centuries. The population became more and more atomized, to use a philosophical term, meaning that more and more people started to feel lonely, were confronted with lack of meaning making, and experienced so-called free-floating anxiety, frustration, and aggression, which means a major part of the population got in this state, which made it extremely sensitive for indoctrination propaganda. And it is the combination of the two, the combination of a government or an elite, which believes that propaganda is the only way to keep control over society. And on the other hand, a population which is in a state in which it is extremely vulnerable to indoctrination propaganda which gave rise to totalitarianism, to this pact between an elite who manipulates the population and a certain part of the population, the so-called masses or the crowds, which blindly believe the propaganda. That leads to this deadly mixture, which is called totalitarianism. So um, I think it's very important to realize, I think, um, for everyone that a totalitarian system is a blind system. Even the people who go along with it, even the people who buy into the system, in the end, 
fall prey to it. Nobody is safe for a totalitarian system. And in the end, there is only one way, I think, only one way to stop the emergence of a totalitarian system. And it is by everyone who realizes that something is going wrong. To stop, to con to stop going along with the narrative and to start to speak out. Everyone who feels that there is something wrong, and there are many people, I believe in total something like 70% of the people feels that something is wrong with the narratives uh, that now seize control of society. Well, it's time to start speaking out. So, it's time. again, I think uh, Professor Desmond, uh, Desmond is uh, hitting on something here. I think it's not new to what we've been talking about here on America Out Loud Pulse for a while, which is there is a difference between overt, what we would call overt dictatorship, overt totalitarianism, where people are showing their might and imposing their will based on force. But in this, what he would call velvet glove or soft totalitarianism, uh, it is the technocrats. And we have talked about that before. It is uh, the uh, appeal to the authority. It is the expert and uh, the expert being the source of all knowledge. But it, the knowledge itself isn't questionable because it's so rational and already predefined that all the uh, oracle is telling us is uh, the one answer. There's not any debate. Uh, and that can come down to anything from mass to stay at home to kids will be fine uh, with having their faces covered during school to uh, the prisons are full of uh, people that didn't do anything wrong. We need to let them out. You name it. It's the technocrat. It's the uh, elite uh, and their spreadsheets and their uh, data and their um, rational arguments that will save society. And that is who we look to. So, Stuart, what do you think? Yeah, you know, um, when we did our first podcast a year and a half ago or more, the first thing I think we started out with was the definition of freedom. The freedom, the classical definition of freedom is the ability to put responsible constraints on yourself. And in therein lies the problem. All these people that are, and of course you and I know that uh, who gets to define what responsible is, well, Jesus does in the Bible. But uh, what is interesting is it's man's, at the core of it, fundamentally, there has to be a, and he mentions this, there has to be the sense of loneliness. And this technocratic age that we live in is the perfect recipe for what has transpired the last four years. And that is, in, we are social creatures. The Lord made us as social creatures. And we know we need connectivity and, and accountability with others. Unfortunately, uh, our sin nature um, always tries to uh, make us think we don't. But in our, in our nature, we are. There's no denying that. That is a fact, that we are social creatures. And so these technocrats, in their, with their technology of, uh, and evil, have usurped the uh, 
authorities that the that the church has given them. Yeah, and again, it's not different than the fact that back in the day, the kings and aristocracies um, utilized the birthright, or that they had the power of God, or they were God on earth. So it's just as uh, the uh, you know the French Revolution revealed, they just instead turned to matter or what I would call rational things and said, now rational, uh, rational statements are God. Does that make sense? Right. So both, both was abuse. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Henry VIII was not God's uh, vehicle on earth. Um, right, right, right. right. Um, and so what did, it's, uh, I was super proud of my preacher yesterday in the sermon for uh, this week in the sermon saying uh, he finally finished, after almost a year, we finished Revelation. And he talked about all the abuses and things that are going on. And he mentioned even in the past three and a half years. And he said the reason that this is allowed, this has uh, occurred is because the church has allowed it. It was uh, one of those amen moments uh, in church. Um and we have allowed it. The church has allowed it. And it's time for the church to humble itself, repent, and reclaim its responsibilities so that these types of abuses and mass murderings, uh, mass uh, killings, I should say, uh, and um, deceptions and greed and all the evil that has transpired the last three and a half years is revealed. And we have to deal with it. We cannot. And that's what Desmond really talks about a lot. He and Malone have, uh, in other podcasts I've listened to, have really delved into. It is imperative that everybody, and this is the first time I've heard him say he believes 70% of people think that there's really something systemically wrong. Um, Every one of us that sees it has to speak out against it. That is imperative to overcoming it. We have to speak out, and once we start doing that, we'll, we will realize that the truth of the uh, scriptures tells us where freedom comes from, where responsibility comes from, uh, where love of humanity and caring for patience, for example, come from. It's not a transactional system, uh, they pay their copay and I'll take care of them kind of a endeavor that we have been called to. And uh, it's very, very important for us to understand, like you just said, to the EU, to the, to the Parliament in Brussels, that uh, world take note, world take note, no more, speak out, don't buy into the lies anymore, because uh, the deceptions and murders or killings uh, have got to stop, and unfortunately, I'm afraid they're just beginning. Yeah, I think that is um, the other thing that I think is important is is I would much rather have the source of knowledge be the creator rather than the creation itself. And what I mean by that is when a lot of these people are in the rational ring as, as if this is all there ever is and there all there ever was in front of us. What they're appealing to is 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 a humanist matter based um, as if there is um, 
no ability for any, there, well, there's no divine. Okay. And I think that's, I think GK Chesterton said it best when um, he said, instead of men or scientists putting their head in the heavens and trying to learn from the creator, instead they took the heavens and tried to fit it in their head and it cracked. And I think uh, that is a good explanation of what's going on. It's, I think if you can't, especially in the field of medicine, combine the divine or what I would call image bearing of God in man uh, and understand that he is a different, uh, he is different, he is set apart and treat him, everyone like that. Um, and we all fall short, but instead to put them in a mechanistic or nihilistic kind of um, setting, uh, what happens is what happened the last three years when you treat man as if he is not, um, he is not an image bearer. Right. Amen. Well, um, once again, thank you for joining us on America Out Loud Pulse with Dr. Jordan Vaughn. I'm Dr. Stuart Tankersley. We are on iHeartRadio. Uh, please join us for our next segment right after the break. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Welcome back. So in addition to the ongoing look back at what was done to us, it is an interesting plight to be an attorney that is defending yourself in the context of a mandate that was presented in 2021, but you are given the task of defending that mandate on September 14th, 2023. And I think that is what happened to our 
poor lawyer here for the Los Angeles uh, School District, Unified School District, when she had to go to the appeals court, again, Ninth Circuit uh, Appeals Court, not necessarily known for its conservative leanings, um, but what she was faced with here. So I'm going to listen, or we're going to listen to about uh, five to seven minutes of this argument and then kind of discuss how even the judges now, judges that are very, what I would say, not necessarily your most conservative judges, uh, are starting to um, understand the lunacy of some of the things that is being uh, done. So I will go ahead and start that. But again, this is Health Freedom Defense Fund versus uh, the Los Angeles uh, Unified School District. And this is the attorney on their behalf as the judges interrogate her in open arguments. Is it true that the uh, the um, vaccination requirement is still in effect? Yes, Your Honor. Interesting. Is there anywhere else in the country where that's still the case? I don't know, Your Honor. Now, is the would the vaccine mandate that is currently in place be satisfied by just having the initial two shot sequence back in 2020 or 2021? Yes. And with nothing further since then? No boosters, is okay. my understanding. It's not a, so there's no booster required. Exactly. Okay. Um, may it please the court. I'm Connie Michaels from the Littler Mendelssohn Law Firm, and I represent the superintendent, chief human resource officer, and board members of the Los Angeles Unified School District, which is, in fact, a public school district. It is the second largest um, in the country. It's our position that this case is absolutely controlled by Jacobson and the many, many, many cases after it that have dealt with vaccine mandates and COVID-related restrictions. Everyone from um, Biden versus Missouri. The concern I have about this case, which I think is unique among all the cases we have this morning, and that is the breadth of Judge Fisher's decision. Because so far as I'm aware, this is the only decision that holds that under Jacobson, it doesn't matter if the um, the vaccine does not prevent transmission of the disease. Because she addressed that concern and she said um, plaintiff's reliance on this distinction is misplaced. Jacobson does not require that a vaccine have the specific purpose of preventing disease. And then she just upheld it as essentially as mandatory medical treatment. But that seems not Jacobson, and it does seem to be Glucksburg. And so this rationale and this decision seems to me to be clearly wrong. Tell me why you disagree. I do disagree, Your Honor, um, for a number of reasons. The cases that have been relied upon by opposing counsel, these bodily integrity cases, deal with situations where the forced medical procedure involved literally injecting people um, and other types of treatment and the like. Here, we're dealing with a condition of employment. It has long been a condition of employment at LA Unified. But do you agree that it's legally irrelevant whether or not the vaccines prevent transmission? I believe that under the current state of the law, um, courts have not made that um, distinction in the sense that it's but made But that's a not Jacobson, because Jacobson rests on the principle of vaccination as a means to prevent the spread of smallpox, 
the whole rationale, and you go to the concluding part of Justice Harlan's opinion, is this idea that you're going to defy the mandate and infect others. That's the whole scenario of Jacobson. But you're coming here and saying, no, we have a right to condition employment on you conducting your medical treatment the way we like. That's, a, that's not Jacobson. That's something really different. Your Honor, similar arguments have been asserted in other cases around the country. But have they been adopted by any other court? No, I didn't find any other court that adopted the medical treatment type concern. Let me ask you this. I mean, you don't need that broad of an interpretation of Jacobson to win the case, correct? I agree. It's a rational um, basis. That no, is all but, we have to prove. And but, if the, I'm but, so sorry. But Jacobson won't apply. If, if your position is to concede that the vaccines don't um, prevent transmission, I mean, and, and that was, it's alleged in the complaint, and this was done on the pleadings, that they don't. And there's a fair amount of science at this point that their ability to prevent transmission is of a very limited window and expires. And yet you're willing to accept someone who had a vaccine two years ago, who clearly has no, it has no ability to prevent transmission. And yet today, it, it, this doesn't fit Jacobson and it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Well, to be clear, I'm not conceding that vaccines um, don't help with respect to transmission. And currently today, you do have to have had <coughs> the vaccines in order to be currently working at LA Unified. But what, what's the basis? I mean, I guess the question is, is there any rational basis to say that you had to have the vaccine two, three years ago now to continue working? Well, first Isn't of all, that the, is that the question we're supposed to answer now? Well, I think the real question that you're answering now is to see if there is a rational relationship. And to, in order to start that, you have to see the fundamental right. I mean, and what, what if it, what if we're here 20 years or 20 years from now and the LA is, you know, still requiring a whole new generation. The LA school district is requiring a whole new generation to get a vaccine. Wouldn't we say, wait, you can't do that. There's no current threat. Your Honor, there is no fundamental right here simply because um, there, you're supposed to allow the state, in this case, the district, and give them the discretion to figure that they knew the different sides of the debate. Oh, yeah, and that's that not... That's not my question. What happened in 2020 happened in 2020. Here we have a situation where you're still imposing this requirement. And so, I, I mean, at some point, the rational basis starts to wane. And I, I mean, even under rational basis, I, I think we all agree that rational basis applies here. Well, plaintiff doesn't, but, but, even assuming rational basis, at some point, it starts to wane. And I guess the question is whether you've come outside of Jacobson by prolonging it, you know, this long. I don't believe we have, Your Honor, because you have to keep in mind we're dealing with a school, a school with a very, very large population that is impacted a huge population in L.A. County. You have a school. But you could make that same argument 20 years from now. Five years from now. Well, Your Honor, they're still requiring smallpox vaccines um, in the uh, school district. I mean, there's a number of vaccines. But I do want to make the point that without agreeing and conceding to it, 
even if it was a medical treatment, I believe that there's a rational basis with respect to that. Because Glucksburg suggests that if it's medical treatment, that there is a fundamental right, because it talks about the right recognized in Cruzan and says, given the common law rule that forced medication was a battery and the long legal tradition protecting the decision to refuse unwanted medical treatment, our assumption um, that it was a fundamental right in Cruzan, our assumption was entirely consistent with this nation's history and constitutional traditions, which is the, the standard that Dobbs applies for um, substantive due process. So if you're redefining, that's why I'm, I think this is so important. If you're saying it's medical treatment, you're out of Jacobson, and, and it seems to me you're in the Glucksburg fundamental right, and it's strict scrutiny. First of all, we're not conceding this medical treatment, but even if we were for purposes of this argument, because it's a school district, it is important that the vaccine, even if it was just something that helped with respect to treatment, the reason it's important is because we want the students to be able to go to school and stay in school. So if this treatment is are such that it shortens the time that someone is ill. Are the students subject to a vaccine mandate? Uh, they were, they're not now. So most of the people in the building are unvaccinated, but this handful of people have to be have to be vaccinated. And that would pass you. Are you claiming that would pass strict scrutiny if we found strict scrutiny were applicable? I don't believe it's strict scrutiny. So um, I do think this is a good back and forth, a little boring. I understand. But in terms of its ability uh, to kind of expose the craziness of, I think, the word that has been used to define these injections is vaccine. The problem with that word historically, vaccine, even back in the uh, Jacobson case, which, by by the way, was done, I mean, it's in the early, <laughs> early 1900s um, and had to do with smallpox, and Jacobson was required to pay a $5 fine. Uh, for not getting it, which was, uh, I guess it might have been a little bit more money than today, maybe a couple hundred dollars, but um, it was not, he had to lose his job and be shunned from society. But regardless of the outcome in those cases, it is funny that even that case based it on the ability to prevent spread. And I think that is what's so interesting, but it's funny that the LA school district actually is even saying if it is a medical treatment that we force people to do, they seem to be okay with that, um, which is kind of nuts. Yeah. I did think think it was funny that she said, oh, well, in that case, it was different because they were like requiring people to get like injections. And I was like, I think she slipped, uh, her tongue slipped on that because uh, that's exactly what they were doing. But it's even in these three quite liberal judges in the Ninth Circuit, um, it is hard for them to understand how this is something that is still being pushed upon. What are your thoughts, Stuart? I think fundamentally the problem that they have is she is arguing that it is not a right for a, uh, an employee to, uh, to, to have that choice, to have the choice. She kept running away from the fundamental science 
That was so, uh, what's so funny about all this, like you initially said, this was very revelatory because she was running away from the science as fast as she could. Every time they tried to bring it to the scientific realm, she ran back to, this is our ability to impose our will on you. Period. Which, that is the, that is the whole argument that the state was making. Yeah, which goes back to Matthias Desmond's point. It's the technocratic. So they have these technicalities that they think that are rationally based. But it, when when they when rational based arguments come up against rational based questions, they just say, "Oh, well, we're actually just in charge, so deal with it." Right. There was no side. That, <laughs> I mean, there are so many, there is no logical foundation for their position. There's none. And I, I think that's very interesting. She, uh, you know, smallpox is still on the uh, uh, schedule. Well, maybe we need to look at that. Does it still need to be on the schedule? Um, everything needs to be reevaluated. And, uh, and the more stupid things she says, the more, uh, the more that she reveals how uh, banal, how blank, how of void of reason that their side is, other than raw power, because there's no science uh, validating their position on these shots. It's clearly the opposite, or masks, or whatever else. They've been wrong time and time and time again. There's no science behind their position. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's the funny thing, Stuart. If you read their probably original arguments, they thought that they were on solid, grounded science, correct? Right, right, right. But uh, as the science changed, even though the science didn't change, we knew that these shots in the in, initially didn't make sense. But uh, the science has changed in the evidence that has been presented despite the government's uh, trying to block them, which is an amazing statement in and of itself. But the science has been uh, clear that these things are not safe and they're not effective. But they don't care. Obviously, there has to be an ulterior motive that these people um, are seeking because... Well, they want to protect their power. Right. You know, it's right. almost like they, they went to battle in a sense how, I, you know, they went to battle with something that they thought was sound because they right. believed the technocrat that was stating it, not the people that were saying, I don't think this is, a, this is as sound as it is. And now they might have blown um, <laughs> blown their argument because if they lose this, then they lose a lot of their authority that they already wield. And yeah. I think that's. Again, they're kind of showing their hand. What they really care about is the ability to basically force you to do what they want or you're not employed. Yeah, and I think that uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s run for presidency is um, potentially a major shift in the whole landscape because of all his uh, decades of work against uh, in, in, in bringing to light the dangers of shots of uh, the schedule, the shots on the schedule. Um, he really is exposing what she was revealing there, which is it really doesn't matter. We get, we're get we in charge, and we get to tell you what you must do to your body. 
Yes. And this is likely coming from the very people that are the ones that say women are, uh, should be able to decide what they want to do with their body. Right. Meaning it's damned be the child. Right. Yes, exactly. The, um, one thing I will say, it's very interesting when you look at that co cohort of people, uh, around what I would call classic liberalism. I mean, I definitely don't agree with Robert Kennedy on everything at all. In fact, we probably have very different ways we think things should be implemented in a lot of different situations. But what he understands is that um, totalitarianism is totalitarianism, and it doesn't really matter which side uh, is pushing it. Whoever's pushing it is wrong. And I think uh, that is what I respect about him, as well as even this uh, last week, I was with uh, a bunch of pediatricians that probably are more uh, earthy than me. Um, but it's amazing how much we align now because what we really value is freedom and liberty um, and the ability uh, to fight for uh, your right to do what's right for you. Yeah, that's uh, what autonomy is about. And uh, it's just amazing that these people that have uh, been doing this to us have, do you ever see them apologizing? That is no. so amazing that they, they <clears throat> the vast majority of people know that we, we have won. We have been on the side of truth. Nobody, hardly anybody's getting these shots anymore. Hardly anybody is getting a mask, any, wearing masks. <clears throat> All of this has uh, been exposed to the vast majority of people. Yet the people that have been and have been promoting this and who have high intellect, there's obviously a reason they can't see it, and it is because of pride and greed <clears throat> and evil. And um, that's what we are hoping uh, that people repent from. Personally, they're not our enemy. They've done a lot of damage to millions and millions of people. But... Uh, Maybe billions, but the uh, reality—the <clears throat> reality is that um, uh, it's time for them to surrender their pride. Um, enough people have fallen; it's time for them to surrender their pride. And with that, uh, we're going to sign off. And on the next segment, I'm going to be uh, reviewing David Martin's testimony at the EU Parliament. Um, and we hope you join us there. Uh, this is America Out Loud Pulse Radio and iHeart Radio. Thank you for joining us with Dr. Jordan Vaughn. I'm Dr. Stuart Tankersley. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. 
be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it, or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. Well, it looks like Djokovic had the last laugh. Unfortunately, the Tennis Association uh, has been revealed for fraud. And I'm so glad that uh, he was able to win the U.S. uh, championship um, after being uh, disallowed for two years because of using... uh, insight and wisdom against the popular narrative. It was so self-destructive. But um, all of this um, is clearly um, outrageous. Uh, It's criminal, it's evil. And with this segment, what I would like to do is play for you last week's testimony by the eminent David Martin is a 56-year-old guy who has been a patent expert and internationally recognized for decades. And he has been outraged by this for this uh, pandemic, pandemic, for several years and is the most, uh, in my understanding, the leading authority for patents against coronaviruses and everything else, despite protein. Uh, And here was his testimony that we're going to play for a little over 10 minutes. Most of you don't know the coronavirus as a model of a pathogen was isolated in 1965. The coronavirus was identified in 1965 as one of the first infectious replicatable viral models that could be used to modify a series of other experiences of the human condition. It was isolated once upon a time associated with the common cold. But what's particularly interesting about its isolation in 1965 was that it was immediately identified as a pathogen that could be used and modified for a whole host of reasons. And you heard me correctly. That was 1965. And by the way, these slides are public domain. You're welcome to look at every single reference. Every comment that I made is based on published material. So do make sure that you look at those references. But in 1966, The very first COV coronavirus model was used as a transatlantic biological experiment in human manipulation. And you heard the date, 1966. I hope you're getting the point of what I'm saying. This is not an overnight thing. This is actually something that's been long in the making. A year before I was born, we had the first transatlantic coronavirus data sharing experiment between the United States and the United Kingdom. And in 1967, the year I was born, we did the first human trials on inoculating people with modified coronavirus. Isn't that amazing? 56 years ago, the overnight success of a pathogen that's been 56 years in engineering. And I want that to chill with all of you. Where were we when we actually allowed, in violation of biological and chemical weapons treaties, where were we as a human civilization when we thought it was an acceptable thing to do to take a pathogen from the United States and infect the world with it? Where was that conversation? And what should have been that conversation in 1967? That conversation wasn't had. 
Ironically, the common cold was turned into a chimera in the 1970s. And in 1975, 1976, and 1977, we started figuring out how to modify coronavirus by putting it into different animals, pigs and dogs. And not surprisingly, by the time we got to 1990, we found out that coronavirus as a infectious agent was an industrial problem for two primary industries, the industries of dogs and pigs. Dog breeders and pigs found that coronavirus created gastrointestinal problems, and that became the basis for Pfizer's first spike protein vaccine patent filed, are you ready for this, in 1990. Did you hear what I just said? 1990. Operation Warp Speed? I'm sorry. Where's the warp and the speed? Pfizer, 1990, the very first spike protein vaccine for coronavirus. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't it fascinating that we were, we were told that, well, the spike protein is a new thing. We just found out that that's the problem. No. As a matter of fact, we didn't just find out it was not just now, now the problem. We found that out in 1990 and filed the first patents on vaccines in 1990 for the spike protein of coronavirus. And who would have thought? Pfizer. Clearly the innocent organization that does nothing but promote human health. Clearly Pfizer. The organization that has not bought the votes in this chamber and in every chamber of every government around the world. Not that Pfizer. Certainly they wouldn't have had anything to do with this. But oh yes, they did. And in 1990, they found out that there was a problem with vaccines. They didn't work. You know why they didn't work? It turns out that coronavirus is a very malleable model. It transforms and it changes and it mutates over time. As a matter of fact, every publication on vaccines for coronavirus from 1990 until 2018, every single publication concluded that coronavirus escapes the vaccine impulse because it modifies and mutates too quickly for vaccines to be effective. And since 1990 to 2018, that is the published science, ladies and gentlemen. That's following the science. Following the science is their own indictment of their own programs that said it doesn't work. And there are thousands of publications to that, not a few hundred, and not paid for by pharmaceutical companies. These are publications that are independent scientific research that shows unequivocally, including efforts of the chimera modifications made by Ralph Baer from the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. All of them show vaccines do not work on coronavirus. That's the science. And that science has never been disputed. But then we had an interesting development in 2002, and this date is most important, because in 2002, the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill patented, and I quote, an infectious replication defective clone of coronavirus. Listen to those words, infectious replication defective. What does that phrase actually mean? For those of you not familiar with language, let me unpack it for you. Infectious replication defective means a weapon. It means something meant to target an individual, but not have collateral damage to other individuals. That's what infectious replication defective means. And that patent was filed in 2002 on work funded by NIAID's Anthony Fauci from 1999 to 2002. And that work, patented at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, mysteriously preceded SARS 1.0 by a year. <gasps> Dave, are you suggesting that SARS 1.0 wasn't from a wet market in Wuhan? Are you suggesting it might have come from a laboratory? In the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill? No, I'm not suggesting it. I'm telling you that's the facts. We engineered SARS. SARS is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. The naturally occurring phenomenon is called the common cold. It's called influenza-like illness. It's called gastroenteritis. That's the naturally occurring coronavirus. SARS is the research developed by humans weaponizing a life system model to actually attack human beings. And they patented it in 2002. In 2003, giant surprise, the CDC filed the patent on coronavirus isolated from humans in violation, once again, of biological and chemical weapons treaties and laws that we have in the United States. And I'm very, very precise on this. The United States likes to talk about its rights and everything else and the rule of law and all the nonsense we like to talk about. But we don't ratify treaties about, I don't know, defending humans. We conspicuously avoid that. We actually have a great track record of advocating for human rights and then denying them when it comes to actually being part of the international community, which is a slightly problematic thing. 
But let's get something very clear. When the CDC in April of 2003 filed a patent on SARS coronavirus isolated from humans, what did they do? They downloaded a sequence from China and filed a patent on it in the United States. Any of you familiar with biological and chemical weapons treaties knows that's a violation. That's a crime. That's not an innocent oops. That's a crime. And the United States Patent Office went as far as to reject that patent application on two occasions until the CDC decided to bribe the patent office to override the patent examiner to ultimately issue the patent in 2007 on SARS coronavirus. But let's not let that get away from us because it turns out that the RT-PCR, which was the test that we allegedly were going to use to identify the risks associated with coronavirus, was actually identified as a bioterrorism threat by me in the European Union-sponsored events in 2002 and 2003, 20 years ago. That happened here in Brussels and across Europe. In 2005, this particular pathogen was specifically labeled as a bioterrorism and bioweapon platform technology. Described as such, that's not my terminology that I'm applying to it. It was actually described as a bioweapons platform technology in 2005. And from 2005 onwards, it was actually a biowarfare enabling agent. It's official classification from 2005 forward. I don't know if that sounds like public health to you. Does it? Biological warfare enabling technology. That feels like not public health. That feels like not medicine. That feels like a weapon designed to take out humanity. That's what it feels like. And it feels like that because that's exactly what it is. We have been lured into believing that EcoHealth Alliance and DARPA and all of these organizations are what we should be pointing to. But we've been specifically requested to ignore the facts that over $10 billion have been funneled through black operations through the check of Anthony Fauci and a side-by-side ledger where NIAID has a balance sheet and next to it is a biodefense balance sheet equivalent dollar-for-dollar matching that no one in the media talks about. And it's been going on since 2005. Our gain-of-function moratorium, the moratorium that was supposed to freeze any efforts to do gain-of-function research. Conveniently, in the fall of 2014, the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill received a letter from NIAID saying that while the gain-of-function moratorium on coronavirus in vivo should be suspended, because their grants had already been funded, they received an exemption. Did you hear what I just said? A biological weapons lab facility at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill received an exemption from the gain-of-function moratorium so that by 2016, we could publish the, the journal article that said, SARS coronavirus is poised for human emergence in 2016. And what, you might ask, Dave, was the coronavirus poised for human emergence? It was WIV1, Wuhan Institute of Virology Virus 1 poised for human emergence in 2016 at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, such that by the time we get to 2017 and 2018, the following phrase entered into common parlance among the community. There is going to be an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen. The operative word, obviously, in that phrase, the word release. Does that sound like leak? Does that sound like a bat and a pangolin went into a bar in the Wuhan market and hung out and had sex, and and lo and behold, we got SARS-CoV-2? No. Accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen was the terminology used, and four times in April of 2019, seven months before the allegation of patient number one, four patent applications in Moderna were modified to include the term accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen as the justification for making a vaccine for a thing that did not exist. Keep going. If you have not done so, please make sure that you make reference in every investigation to the premeditation nature of this, because it was in September of 2019 that the world was informed that we were going to have an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen so that by September 2020, there would be a worldwide acceptance of a universal vaccine template. That's their words right in front of you on the screen. The intent was to get the world to accept a universal vaccine template, and the intent was to use coronavirus to get there. And the last slide. This isn't advancing, so if I could have somebody do it. Let's, Let's read this because we have to read this into the record everywhere I go. 
Until an infectious disease crisis is very real, present, and at the emergency threshold, it is often largely ignored. To sustain the funding base beyond the crisis, he said, we need to increase the public understanding for the need for medical countermeasures such as a pan-influenza or pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media, and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. Sounds like public health? Sounds like the best of humanity? No, ladies and gentlemen, this was premeditated domestic terrorism stated at the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2015, published in front of them. This is an, this is an act of biological and chemical warfare perpetrated on the human race, and it was admitted to in writing that this was a financial heist and a financial fraud. Investors will follow if they see profit at the end of the process. Let me conclude by making five very brief recommendations. The last slide. Nature was hijacked. This whole story started in 1965 when we decided to hijack a natural model and decided to start manipulating it. Science was hijacked when the only questions that could be asked were questions authorized under the patent protection of the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, and their equivalent organizations around the world. We didn't have independent science. We had hijacked science. And unfortunately, there was no moral oversight in violation of all of the codes that we stand for. There was no independent, financially disinterested, independent review board ever impaneled around coronavirus. Not once. Not once. Not since 1965. We do not have a single independent IRB ever impaneled around coronavirus. So morality was suspended for medical countermeasures. And ultimately, humanity was lost because we decided to allow it to happen. Our job today is to say no more gain-of-function research, period. No more weaponization of nature, period. And most importantly, no more corporate patronage of science for their own self-interest unless they assume 100% product liability for every injury and every death that they maintain. Thank you very much. Wow. What testimony before the EU Parliament by David Martin? patent expert. Let's review a few of the things he uh, brought to light again. It just so happened to be in this form. We learned decades ago that the coronavirus cannot be vaccinated against. In, in 1999 through 2002, UNC developed an infectious replication, uh, a uh, bioweapon, quote, with infectious replication defects. That equals a bioweapon. And of course, within a year, we had SARS-1. CDC, in 2003, filed for patents. They were rejected twice, but then they bribed the patent office. In 2005, it was, it was determined to be a, quote, bioweapon platform. And he makes the important point in this part of his speech where is public health? As we've been saying for years now, public health is public enemy number one. Public health is not about health. Then he uh, referred to the ten billion dollar black, the ten billion dollars worth of black money that NIAID had with the uh, DARPA in order to develop this, and then in 2016 a bioweapon poised for human, for, for human uh, pathogen. <clears throat> and then in April of 19, Moderna uh, changes their patent, four patents, to include in case of an accidental or intentional release. And then he talks about in 2017, the media buy-in. And this is a guy who, in, who 20 years ago, 21 years ago, sat in the same seat in the EU Parliament, 
Parliament with support for many of the uh, different parties in the European Union who were supportive of his skepticism. And then he goes on to, uh, in talking about the buy-in of the media, the big focus was economics will follow the hype. There's no getting around the reality this was planned for. And as with the case with the tennis player, game, set, and match. Here is the proof. There is no argument as to the uh, veracity of Mr. Martin's statements. So uh, it is time for there to be accountability. It is past time for there to be accountability. America, in in centuries to come, will be remembered for this catastrophe. We created this. We imposed it upon the world. And and heretofore, it doesn't look like anybody's going to be held to account. But, Dad, government, it's past time. It's enough people have been killed and injured. Somebody's got to be held to account if there is justice in this world. And with that, for America Out Loud Pulse Radio and iHeart Radio, this is Dr. Stuart Tankersley and Jordan Vaughn. Thank you for joining us. Talk to you next week.